Hey there, and welcome back to the CUSE Conversations podcast. We are the only podcast produced by Syracuse University alumni for Syracuse University alumni. My name is John Boccasino. I'm a class of 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communication studying broadcast journalism. I also work as the communications specialist in the Office of Alumni Engagement. We are so pleased you found us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. There's 15 platforms that are currently housing this podcast right now. You can also go to alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. As you've come to expect on this podcast, we are telling the stories of Syracuse University alumni who are making a difference in their communities and who bleed orange. And we love telling those stories here on the podcast. Today, we are pleased to have Monica Levinson joining us on the podcast. Monica, thank you for making some time today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be out here in Los Angeles. We are doing these podcasts remotely for this week. And uh, there's a big movie, Brian Banks, that's coming out. We'll get into your connections with this great story of a football player who was falsely accused of rape charges. He was exonerated. He's now leading the charge to help similar uh, people who have been accused of crimes find justice. It's an unbelievable story. Your career is so much more than the Brian Banks movie, obviously. You know, we've been doing this for a couple of decades now. You've really forged a career for yourself. But I want to rewind the tape a little bit. Okay. How did you come to Syracuse University? What was it about Syracuse that made you interested in attending school and getting your degree? So I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, Syracuse was something that, you know, was a university that people told me about, and they said they had a communications program. And growing up, I was always really interested in the arts. My mother was always pushing me in that direction, and I was editor of my yearbook, and I just always sort of gravitated to television and film. And so... um, when I applied and got into Newhouse, people said, are you insane? You got into Newhouse, you have to go. <laughs> and I did. Uh, so that's how I got there. And, you know, I went into Newhouse as a television, radio, film management uh, major. At the time, that was a an option. And, um, yeah, I took amazing classes there. I really learned about really more about television and the sort of, I thought I was going to go more into the TV news uh, angle, um, but I didn't really know. You know, I, I love scripted, but I also like the unscripted world and um, and even actually took a course, the entertainment law course, and that made me think, I'm definitely going to law school. That has to be my path. I'm going to be a producer with the entertainment law knowledge. And um, so I went, I graduated, I'm kind of moving forward, but um, (laughs) when I graduated from college, I went and took my LSATs and got into Catholic law to go into, um, in in Washington, D.C., to go into entertainment law. And luckily had my first job already that I was just helping out for the summer, uh, which was at a TV news production company. And luckily that job sort of was so amazing that I didn't go to law school because I don't think I would have been a producer if I had gone to law school. What was it? Obviously you mentioned Newhouse has a strong reputation uh, and, and, and back in you know the television, radio, film days, obviously there's great faculty, great professors out there. But what was it about film and television? Did you grow up being a fan of watching television shows, watching movies? Yeah. You know, I watched a ton of TV 
more TV. I mean, films, there were certain films in our family that we just all would gather around and watch. Um, they're embarrassing to even say what they are, but they were, you know, like Fiddler on the Roof and uh, A Chorus Line. And there were just certain Grease. I mean, there were just certain movies, Wizard of Oz, that um, Willy Wonka, uh, but they would just be always in our life. You know, we always had the whatever, laser disc or VHS tape or whatever we had. Um, but television, I would sit and watch te- television for hours upon hours. And I remember one time my parents saying to me, I really hope that there's a job where you can watch television because that's all you like to do. And I said, oh my God, is that a job? Wait, can I do that for a living? And they were like, we were just kidding. Like you just watch too much TV, do more things. And so I really, you know, just, I just loved it. I loved the arts. And um, like I said, my mother really pushed me towards that um, profession and it, I think it was just a natural fit for me. You know, I went to an acting camp and I realized right away that that was not for me, that I didn't want to be in front of any cameras. Um, <laughs> even this is difficult, you know. Um, but I just really gravitated towards it. So when I got to school and started learning about the industry, I was fascinated. I was fascinated about the origins and and how the film community came to be and how the television community came to be. I have some of my textbooks still about the networks and how they grew into what they became, you know, and how television started. I just found it all amazing and um, revolutionary and was excited to see if I could be part of that industry. When it comes to working in television, working in entertainment, it all boils down to a story and telling a story. How do you think your time at Newhouse helped you hone your storytelling skills? It's interesting. You know, being at Newhouse, you really learn all different facets of the communications industry. You know, it's not specialized. Um, as you know, VPA is really the film major, and we we didn't learn about film per se. I took a couple film criticism classes and things like that, and television production or film production where you make your own little, you know, um, story or short film. But the, you know, what I loved about it was taking sort of the journalism classes even and learning how to tell a story and how to not bury the lead and how to write, um, write for interest and write uh, concisely. And I thought that actually was telling a story in its own way. That was my first sort of grasp on telling a story, telling a story in a journalism way and being able to tell it in a way that's going to capture people's attention and yet give the information and tell it in an entertaining way. So I thought that was sort of my first entree into storytelling at Newhouse. And that has always stuck with me, that manner of writing. My first job was based, first I started with an internship at this company. It was the Washington DC Bureau of Entertainment Tonight. So I went in the summer before I graduated, I got this job at this company, this small production company, and they were doing fun things. They were going behind the scenes on movie shoots. They were working on Capitol Hill to get news, um, entertainment news stories, the entertainment angle of being in Washington, D.C. And so I had so much fun at that internship and thought it was the coolest thing ever. So when I came back for spring, came home for spring break that year, my senior year, 
my former boss at my internship had broken her leg. And she said, can you just, are you going to be home for spring break? And I said, yes. So she said, can you just drive me around and help me get to my different interviews before, you know, while we go around town and we're doing our interviews all week, can you help me? And I said, absolutely. I'm there. So I did that for her. I interned for her for spring break. And then she called and she said, we're starting up this company. We're sort of merging. It's going to be consumer reports, television news, along with um, the entertainment tonight side. And it's going to be called airwaves incorporated. And we're just making up an off, making an office now. So we'd love to have you come in and help us get the office going. We know you're going to law school, but just help us this summer and get us going. And so I did, and that became my summer job. And as I got a month in, I was like, wow, this is fun. I don't what, wait, do I need to go to law school? Do I want to go to law school? So I was booking crews. Um, I was pitching stories in the morning. First thing in the morning, I would pitch stories to the LA people. There was this woman, Karen Shapiro, who I would call every morning at Entertainment Tonight. And then she would call back and say, okay, go get a crew, you know, go capture that story. And so I would do that, you know, book it. We would send out the field director. They would get footage, we would go back and feed it to LA and it would be on the show that night. So it was a pretty cool job and I loved it and I loved the fast pace. And um, after three years of doing that job, I knew that my job was going to be more sales and I am not a salesperson. So I, um, I quit and decided that I was going to make a change. We all come to those career crossroads where you have to make a choice do you head ahead? Do you keep going with a path that maybe you're not as happy with, or do you try to reinvent yourself? And it can be scary and unnerving. How did you go from being someone who was so closely connected with journalism to getting into the film side of things? What was that transition like? So I quit that job and I thought, okay, where else can I do something that fun? And I really thought about it and there was nothing else that was similar that would make me happy, you know, in terms of that kind of job. It was really about the entertainment you know, world. It wasn't that I loved journalism so much. I loved the entertainment business. So then I thought, do I do a talk show? Do I do reality television? Reality television was literally just on the rise. They had just done their first season of The Real World, or maybe they were shooting their first season of The Real World. And I thought, that's cool. What is that? You know, like, what is that world? And that could be really interesting. Um, and I just kind of sent my resumes out everywhere. And the other thing that I did a lot for Entertainment Tonight was go on movie sets. And I went to behind the scenes of, you know, a couple films being shot in the DC and also like New Orleans, we covered the South. So I went on the behind the scenes and I thought, wow, this is really cool. What are they doing here? And um, that became my next goal. You know, I just decided I would start sending out my resumes to all the films um, that were filming in the area. And Variety had like the weekly production reports. And so they would name the, you know, they had the phone numbers or the fax numbers back then of where you could send your resumes. And that was how I started reaching out to all the different production offices. Um, but making that choice was really difficult to decide to quit my job. I had been, you know, for all intents and purposes, was 
you know, doing a very high management level of that company, of the small company, but I was running at the day-to-day operations and having a great time. So I had to make that choice. And so when I was at this crossroads, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself and thinking that I was pretty old. You know, at this point I was 25 years old and had, you know, this massive career that I thought I had and was earning pretty good money for a 25 year old. And I was just saying goodbye. And so I spoke to my dad and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm so behind now, you know, I've just started on this other career and now I'm going to, I'm thinking I'm making this change. I don't know what to do. And my father who Mr. Stable always had a lamp store, still had a lamp store, still has a lamp store, like Mr. Stable, um, said, I'm 52 and I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my career. And I said, what are you talking about? You have a lamp store? He goes, yeah, but I have to change. I have to like reinvent myself at every juncture and you're going to have to do the same thing. So have a few dollars in your pocket and go figure out what's next because you are going to have to do this again when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 45, when you're 50, 55, 60, 75, whatever. You're you're, you're hopefully going to have a long life and a long career. So you need to take the freedom to step out and see what's next for you. So don't freak out, basically, you know, and I just it kind of gave me this massive relief because I had put all this pressure on myself that I needed to know exactly what I was going to do. So I kept thinking, maybe now law school, you know, I mean, I just kept freaking out. Like I need to have a purpose. I need to have that career path. And um, my dad's advice of saying, this is not something that's going to be just once in your life. This is going to be happening all the time. And so try new things, go in different directions and see what works. And if that doesn't work, try a new direction. And you have time and you have your whole life and you don't need to know now. So I took that and that's why I started looking into film because I thought I can try it. I can start all over, which is what I had to do when I got into film. I got my first job was an internship. I begged somebody on a Ron Howard movie I just kept, she was the only person that would answer the phone when I would call. So I begged her to get, give me an internship. Her name's Trish Hoffman. She's a very wonderful producer now, but she was the art department coordinator in New York. And she said, fine, just come in. Can you come in like tomorrow? And I was like, yes, I'll be on a train. I was living in DC. <laughs> I found one of my Syracuse friends that I crashed on their, you know, on their couch and um, went up to New York and interned for two weeks and ran out of money pretty quickly because living in Manhattan, you know, without getting paid and uh, even living on a couch, but I was taking cabs. I was the best damn intern ever. So (laughs) instead of taking the subway to get places, I was taking cabs and doing everything really fast. And they're like, wow, you're amazing. I'm like, thank you. That's, yeah, yeah, I've just been fast. Um, I'm on my foot. You know, I didn't tell them that I was taking cabs everywhere, spending my own money. They paid me $50 one day to wait for the phone person. And I said, great. Does that mean I'm a production assistant? I said, sure, whatever. It's fine. You can call yourself a PA. And so I put that on my resume. And I Pelican Brief was a movie that was filming in D.C., And I sent my resume and it said that I had just worked on a Ron Howard movie as a PA for the month of April. And she said, oh, wow, you you just were in New York working on a Ron Howard movie? And I said, yes. 
So she said, come in for an interview. And they fired their production secretary and hired me because the production secretary had no experience. And I had all this vast experience. This whole month with the Ron Howard experience. And it was two (laughs) weeks, but they didn't know that. It wasn't even a full two weeks. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I, my job was buzzing people in the front door and answering the phones. That was really my key job when I got it. And I had to swallow any pride that I had of running, you know, the show, if you will. Obviously, that's how I felt. I was, I had a whole, I had a staff under me, you know, I was doing a lot at that other job. So I had to really swallow that pride and say, this is what I want to do. And this is how I have to do it. So I had to start over and um, it was worth it. I mean, I worked on that movie for eight months, actually. And I went to New York. I finished up the movie in New York. I worked through post. I became the assistant coordinator. I coordinated reshoots. And because of that, I got my next job and then my next job and my next job and all of that. So so obviously you had to make your own break in life. And it seems like your parents played a, a crucial role in that drive to accomplish, that drive to be successful. Syracuse instilled in you a whole bunch of work ethics and values and traits too. How did you go? What was the the movie that you feel was your, your break, if you will, when it comes to being a producer? How did you able to take this hunger, this desire, and then actually say, you know what, Monica, I've made it. This is my, my foray into producing. I, I've got a good career here. So when I worked on Private Parts, which was the Howard Stern movie, I did that in tandem with the line producer named Celia Costas, who was my mentor. She took me under her wing on that on Pelican Brief, and I worked with her for eight movies. On Private Parts, we really did the job together. She really allowed me to work side by side with her and get that movie made from a production standpoint. And that was an amazing experience. She also then brought me on to Zoolander, and that was really my first foray into being creative on set. Zoolander was very challenging. It was a very, very challenging film. And I was hired as the production supervisor at the time, working with Celia Costas, my mentor. And we got to New York. I was already living in Los Angeles and I got back to New York and we just realized there was just so, there were so many other moving parts of the film. And Celia gave me the option. She said, either I can bring in a production manager that just deals with the grips and the electrics and, you know, dealing, managing the budget, or you can stay and do that role. And then we bring in somebody else to go deal with all these moving parts. And I said, moving parts, that's, that's my thing. (laughs) And it really was fitted for me because honestly, my, my world of being in with ENG crews in, in Washington, you know, my first job of being these small little news crews and running around and doing small little production that really came into play at this point because I had to figure out how to do the VH1 fashion fashion awards and film live there during the commercial breaks. I had to figure out how to put all those packages together. If you remember in Zoolander, the male model of the year packages, well, there's a ton of footage in there and we didn't have that scheduled for any part of main production of the main production unit. So I had to figure out how to do these units and we had zero dollars to do all this. So they, I don't know if you know the movie Bowfinger, but um, the Teamsters called me Madam Bowfinger because I would get to set every day and, or the day before we would get, you know, we'd be on set and the Teamsters would say, Monica, what do you need for tomorrow? Just tell me what you need and I'll bring on an extra truck or I'll 
do whatever. I'm like, I need nothing. I'm good. And the grips and the gaffer would say, what do you need? I'll bring in extra people. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't need anything. And then the next day I'd say, just that little steak bed and then just that little grip package. And (laughs) can you send me one guy and then just one grip, you know, one gaffer or one electric guy, he's going to be fine. And um, I would just take this crew and hire, you know, a video um, photographer. So not even somebody filming on the film cameras that we were filming. I just got, I started working in digital at that point and filming small little interstitials that could go in there. And um, it was, you know, that was really um, my start because I really had to be part of that process and creatively figure out how to do it all and work closely with Ben, who was directing it, Ben Stiller. And then um, one of the producers, uh, Stuart Kornfeld, who also is an amazing mentor, he said to me, um, so you're going to continue on in Los Angeles through post and because we have a whole bunch of other stuff to do. And I said, no, it's kind of a hard movie right now. I I think I'm good. I'm going to finish. And he said, no, no, you have to stay. Just tell me what you want. And I said, well, I guess I need to be called associate producer. And he goes, done. And I went, oh, no, I should have asked for more. Um, but, you know, I'm really thankful that I did that because I stayed on through post. I stayed on through the marketing campaign, through the home video release. I stayed on through the whole process and was able to be part of the entire process of the film. And that's really why I moved to Los Angeles. You know, after Private Parts and Meet Joe Black was the next one, um, I decided that I wanted to be more involved in the creative and I knew that I couldn't do that in New York, unfortunately, unless I moved into a different kind of filmmaking. If I moved into independent filmmaking in New York at the time, that's where I could have gotten involved, but I didn't know those people. So I moved to LA to try to um, make that happen, but it was reinventing myself again by moving to Los Angeles because I didn't know people here and I really was working with the, biggest fish in the small pond of New York. And now I was moving out and I was the smallest fish in a massive pond and trying to meet people and figure out how to get people to take me seriously. Our podcast listeners can't see, but I'm shooting Monica the blue steel look right now from Zoolander. I can make all sorts of references about Bowfinger. You brought up some great classic comedies, but to go, so obviously you're, you're, you're making your name for yourself and then Zoolander you go to talk about creativity, Borat. That was one of those films with Sasha Baron Cohen that pushed all the envelopes. It was a creative, I thought it was a genius piece. Um, working with someone who's as talented as Sasha Baron Cohen, what did Borat teach you? Working as a producer for Borat, how did that kind of influence you and, and, and maybe lead the way towards your future successes? Borat was a true adventure. And I also, you know, you just have to really go with the flow. And sometimes you can go against the grain and try to make things work in your own way. But with Borat, you really had to take what was happening and shape it and figure out how to keep it on the tracks. And because, you know, it's like massively insane, you know, (laughs) and um, and here I was pretty much the only female, you know, in the management team and trying to uh, forge my way through that adventure. Your most recent project, Brian Banks, a football player, he's falsely accused of a crime. He ended up not committing the crime. He was exonerated for his crime. His football career was put on hold. 
the movie Brian Banks is coming out. It's an awesome inspirational story. I, I, I was so happy to know that you were attached and connected to this. How did you become aware of Brian's story and what, what has your role been as one of the producers of this film? Amy Baer came in for a general meeting with Shivani Rowett, uh, the CEO of Chiffons and I, and the three of us sat down and, uh, talked about what she was doing and she mentioned Brian Banks and she mentioned the story, the 60 minutes piece, this man who was falsely accused of a crime. And she said, you should watch that, you know, watch the 60 minutes. And she was telling us more and more about Brian. We said, wait a second, do you have a partner on that? Can we get in on this? And she said, well, yeah, maybe down the line. And we said, no, 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 we like to come in early and be a part of the whole process. So you know, we kept calling her and calling her. And finally she said, fine, why don't you go meet Brian and see what you think? So I flew to New York and Shivani lives in New York and the two of us met him and he is such an amazing bright light and just this wonderful spirit. And you can't help, but want to help him and do something for him. He's, he's just a truly genuine, amazing human being. So he told us his story and we knew then that we had to do it. You know, we really had to become involved. So we were partners with Amy and we, you know, developed the script. We hired the writer. We found the director and uh, Tom Shadiak, who was, had his own story um, coming out of a, you know, 10 year career uh, after being, you know, a massive director took himself out of the business for 10 years after a concussion and really changed his life and went to Memphis and started teaching to a, you know, to kids and um, at historical black colleges and really trying to mentor them. And uh, it just became, you know, a labor of love. We worked on that for four years to get it to this place. Um, and, you know, we shot it in Memphis to, help that community out and help, you know, because Tom had said, listen, please let my students be part of this process. Let them intern on there on the movie. And um, anyway, so it was a great experience. And throughout the process, Brian was there and we wanted to tell his story and tell it in a way that, you know, obviously you need to change things up a little bit for dramatic purposes or for, um, Con, you know, making the story a little more concise, but then his real life, which was, you know, an 11 year process, but uh, everything was really true to form. And we did that to honor and respect what Brian went through. You mentioned earlier that it's hard for you sometimes to watch a finished product that you've, you've put on, but this story, the impact that Brian Banks' story has had, what's it going to be like knowing that this movie is going to have such an impact on people who maybe want to get involved in helping out Brian's cause? Because this, the comedies are great and people need to laugh, but this was a real life tragedy that he's now turned into an inspirational story. That has to be amazing for you as a producer to be able to tell and see the impact that that story has on people. It's, it's really um, wonderful. I've you know, heard from a lot of people that they want to donate to the California Innocence Project, the people that um, Greg Kinnear plays, Justin Brooks, who started this Innocence Project in, Cal in uh, San Diego. And so people have been 
telling me they're donating, uh, which is amazing. We also showed the film in San Diego. Uh, the California Innocence Project had their own premiere, and they had at least 10 of their exonerees there who had spent, you know, some of them had spent 30 years behind bars, 16 years behind bars, 20 years behind bars. I mean, it was so, it was surreal to be sitting in an audience while they watched Brian's story. And Brian very clearly said, this movie might be called Brian Banks, but it's really for and about all of us. And I know it was uncomfortable for some of them to watch the movie. The movie is inspirational. The movie is um, a story of redemption and, and sort of about the justice system, not doing what it should do, but about the human spirit spirit prevailing. And I think that message is at least um, something that I can be very proud of and that I think the exonerees were proud to see, you know, that this wasn't about prison. This wasn't about, um, this was about the justice system and it needing a bit of a, you know, kick right now. Looking back to Syracuse through what you've accomplished now, what's one lesson or one piece of advice that really still sticks with you to this day from your time at Newhouse? You know, it's funny, um, Professor Hollenbach, actually, I took her class and at graduation, she went up to, she came up to me and my parents and said, Monica should be running a small to medium company. That's what she should be doing. She should be running, you know, medium-sized media company. And I sort of took that and I thought, really? You think you think I can do that? And, you know, ultimately I'm, you know, I, I think she saw something in me as a manager, as somebody that could be, um, you know, obviously every time I make a movie, I'm dealing with 300 crew members. And as a producer, that's my job. I'm running the show for that movie. And um, I don't know, I really just loved that she came up to me and said that to me because it really stuck um, and put a little idea into my head, which I, you know, didn't know and (laughs) didn't understand before then. Also, I'll have to say, um, I know being in a sorority and, you know, of that part of my Syracuse experience, I know some people think that's, you know, frivolous or, you know, trivial, but I was president of my sorority and my, I was always a people pleaser. I still am, you know, I want people to be happy and that's part of my job. Like I said, getting people coffee and, um, but no, really making people happy and, and making sure that the, um, that everybody's interests are served. But as a sorority, as a sorority president, it was definitely, I, I had to learn my own strength there because my first semester, everybody would be asking me things. And I was like, yes, yes. Okay. Let me try to make that better. And let me, let me see what I can do. And by second semester, I really had to put my foot down and say, no, no, you guys go work that out yourself. I'll take that on. And, uh, and no, you know, and, and put my foot down about certain things because I, um, but it was great. I really gained my strength by doing that job of being president of my sorority. I really learned how to sort of know my audience, figure out what I needed to take on and figure out how to say no. Do you ever find yourself pinching yourself at your story at the fact that the the girl who grew up loving TV and loving entertainment is now so critically involved in producing movies that are entertaining the masses? Well, you know, it's funny. There are certain days where um, I'm out on set 
and I'll be standing like I was just, I just finished filming a movie in Oregon and we're on the side of a cliff and it's raining and I'm very concerned about everybody about to fall off the cliff because the mud is, you know, sliding and, uh, you know, it's, it's a 10 minute horrendous, you know, hike up over rocks where I'm literally rappelling down, you know, with the rope. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is so glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) Making movies is so glamorous. I should really pinch myself. But the fact is, is that every day is different. And I love that. (laughs) I would not be happy sitting in an office. And so I do appreciate that day as much as I appreciate going to the premiere of one of my movies. Um, Because the premiere of one of my movies or an award show or whatever it is that I get to go to, the Golden Globes or et cetera, those are all amazing days. And you do have to say, oh, my God, I'm in Cannes right now. This is incredible. I'm walking the red carpet in Cannes or getting a 10 for Captain Fantastic we had a 10 minute standing ovation, but for every one of those days, I have about 300 of the other days where it's hard and it's, um, getting through the day and it's a lot of hard work or I'm standing on a cliff, um, in the rain or getting eaten by mosquitoes at a night shoot or whatever it is. But, um, I'm grateful for all the days because it's a fun job. Um, it's a challenging job. It's super hard. But um, you get to have so many different experiences, and I'm really thankful for that. One of the best parts of the Syracuse University Network is we take after our own. We look out for fellow graduates. We try to hook up alumni with opportunities. If someone is listening to the podcast and they want to get into the film industry, what piece of advice would you give them? So I would say be flexible. Don't stress. Figure out a path. And then if you don't like it, get out of it, make a change and do that again and do that again. And don't be afraid to have to start all over because it's going to happen and you don't want to get stuck in a path that you don't love. So just take your time. And I obviously um, always uh, participate. We always have Syracuse interns at the company where I've been working for the last five years. And um, I, you know, love the Syracuse network. Well, Monica, we really appreciate your time here on the Cuse Conversations podcast. Best of luck and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming over. This has been our Cuse Conversations podcast. We want to remind our folks to go download this podcast on all your podcasting platforms on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Wherever you find a podcast, you can find the Cuse Conversations podcast. We also live at alumni.syr.edu slash Cuse Conversations and anchor.fm slash conversations. For today's guest, Monica Levinson, I am John Boccasino. We'll be bringing you more episodes of the Cuse Conversations podcast down the road. 